Hi there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Joining me in studio is Larry Chris, who is the executive director for the Vermont Parent Representation Center. And on the phone, uh, Bill Young, who's the former commissioner of the Vermont Department of Social and Rehabilitation Services. Uh, Bill and Larry, welcome to the show. As the, I just call Larry taking a glass of water. Sorry about that. Thank you, Pat. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Bill. You hear us good out there? I'm here. I'm here, and I can hear you well all the way in North Carolina. Good. Oh. Good to talk. Thank you. You too. I, you may be breaking up a little bit, so we'll have to let you know how that goes. First of all. I don't know if you remember, uh, how long ago were you both on the show? Quite a while ago when you first put the two years. We had a show that, uh, when these two gentlemen put out their report uh, called Broken System, Broken Promises, which I was so proud to be putting this out there. And as a matter of fact, I had one of the, I had so many calls at home about this show to include a call from Ken Squires who said anything that he and the radio station can do, let him know because this was quite the report. And, um, uh, I would love to have you both bring our listeners up to speed on what this report was and then we'll get into the good news. Sure, Pat. I'd be happy to do that. Um, about four years ago, of Vermont Parent Representation Center decided that we wanted to test the state's system for substantiating or determining whether child abuse and neglect had occurred. And I won't go into the details of how the system operates, but my belief was this is the most awesome power that Vermont state government has to identify that someone has abused or neglected children and then place them on the child protection registry. Being on the registry precludes people from about a third of all the jobs in Vermont. That's a lot of jobs. Right. The registry currently has roughly 25,000 names on the registry. So that's a lot of Vermonters who can't work. And those one-third of Vermont jobs are typically jobs that women use to get into the workforce. So we're talking about a lot of people who can't access employment at this point because of having been substantiated. So because of my previous experience working for Bill Young many years ago, (laughs) I understood how this system is supposed to work and how it did work many years ago. So VPRC, the Vermont Parent Representation Center, decided to take the first 15 appeals that came to us, people who just called us and said, I'm being substantiated. I want to appeal it. Can you help me? We didn't screen them. We didn't screen any in or any out. We simply took the first 15. And believe it or not, my expectation was that we were going to lose every one of those appeals because I knew how the system was supposed to work. At the end of the first 15 appeals, we had won them all. Oh. That caused me to say, wait, there's got to be a problem with our methodology here, even though we had no methodology except to accept the appeals that came to us. So we kept adding five new appeals at a time until eventually we got to the point where we were somewhere in the range of of 25 to 30 appeals, all of which had either been overturned or dismissed upon appeal. 
there wasn't one that was lost. We didn't find one substantiation that could withstand scrutiny, if you would. Now, explain to me again, substantiation means? It means that the Department for Children and Families has gotten a report that you or I or anyone in Vermont may have abused or neglected a child. They assign an investigator. That investigator comes, conducts an investigation, um, and then goes back and meets with their supervisor. And those two people determine whether you or I are guilty or not. The decision's made. You're substantiated at that point. You then have the opportunity to ask for a review of that substantiation by an independent reviewer who works for DCF but is not a DCF employee. If you lose that review, you can then appeal to the Human Services Board. That's a much bigger step. It operates under the Vermont Rules of Evidence. You are not assigned an attorney at any time during this process. If you have the yeah, money, you can hire an attorney. Yeah, Bill, did you have a comment? Well, it, and, and what's particularly problematic about it, of course, without an attorney, is that it's a very legalistic process. I'm, I'm not sure um, that without Larry's help, any of these cases would have, been, would have been overturned without an attorney. I think it's why so few parents appeal. Larry, uh, Larry kept track of his time in these cases and found that if they'd hired a, pri- a private attorney at private rates, it would have cost these parents 20000 to $50,000 no. a year. No. No, you know, for the, for the attorney to represent them in the hearings, nobody has that kind of money. Uh, for me, I relate to that. Well, just to clarify the numbers, and Bill is, Bill is correct. Um, however, for the first round, the review, the going rate that I've been given from attorneys is that they will write your appeal for $5,000, but they won't present it. Wow. If you want the attorney to actually represent you in the review, it's another $5,000. Good grief. So that's $10,000 based on the decision made by two state employees. Right. I'm a retired state employee. I have a great deal of respect for as as, as are am you, I. Right. As are you, as is Bill. But the reality is that's how serious this system is. You can have two people, not a judge, not a lawyer, not anybody else, two people decide and you're substantiated. Then the burden is really, in theory, the burden is on the department to prove that they have the evidence. But in practice, you really have to prove you didn't do it. And who has the skill to do that if you're just a regular regular guy or woman? I mean, I wouldn't. Well, most of us don't. And I've been working with this for four years now. I went to law school. I was a member of two bar exams. I still don't understand the rules of evidence because that's not what I do for, right. for a living. So we actually, in addition to the cases where we assisted people, we had people come forward after our project was completed and ask for our help. And we said, we, we don't do that at this juncture. We did this project. We can't keep doing these because some of these take hundreds of hours of work. We said, we will give you the information, and you can represent yourself. To date, none of those people have been able to ably present their cases. Wow. 
So oh, sad. And and this registry that you're re- referencing, um, it wasn't intended to be used as an employment check, but it's turned no. out like that. It's sort of like social Pat, security. Pat, when the, yes. The, regist- the registry was instituted at, uh, at the uh, pushing of the federal government. And I think it was the late 70s, early 80s. It was before my time at, at SRS. Um, and they uh, they intended it to be a confidential registry and a way of keeping of tracking abuse and neglect trends by state and by the country. Um, but of course, over time, um, uh, with some, uh, you know, some tough cases, I think they were sexual abuse cases that, you know, somebody in the registry and it was confidential, you know, was working in a school or something like that. And there was an incident and people were upset that, you know, how could the department, you know, and the state have, have that information that the person was a sex offender and 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 they get a job in a school. So, you know, it's hard not to, ar- to argue against it, um, opening up the registry. But, I, I mean, I said at the time, if you open up the registry, now, now the parents have a huge property interest and there's got to be a lot more protections. But we opened it up and Larry and I, you know, estimate that it's probably 30 percent of the jobs in Vermont that you'll either be fired from or won't be hired if you're in the registry. And you and there were basically no additional protections added to the system. Um, and, uh, you know, a huge uh, folks talk about us, you know, emphasizing parents rights. Picture what happened. Picture a child whose parent is improperly found to have abused a child when they didn't, and uh, and now their now their parents are you know many times out of work, can't find new work in their chosen field, and 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 also sometimes children are removed from the home and placed in foster care, oh. where we find where we find later on they they weren't abused. So it's a it's a huge impact on children, not just parents. For sure, I can't even imagine taking a, a child away like that and then finding out you made a mistake. Larry, you wanted to comment. Well, you know, our report, to the best of our knowledge, this is the Vermont's the only place in the country that has done this kind of a deep dive into a system. We just haven't been able to find another state that has done this. For one thing, it takes years to go through these all of these reviews. Right. However. Last year, the state of Massachusetts, our next-door neighbor, um, did an assessment. And in Massachusetts, if a person is substantiated, they can either appeal to a hearing officer or they can appeal to the court. And what they found in the courts is that 50% of all of the people who appealed to the court had their substantiations overturned. Wow. So even though our information showed that every case that we got was either overturned or dismissed, you could say, well, nobody – 100% of these substantiations can't be wrong. But then you look next door at Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. and it's 50% of them. So annually, up until COVID, Vermont substantiated between 700 and 1,000 people a year. During COVID, the numbers dropped off for obvious reasons. Now the number since COVID is about 600 people a year. My expectation is we'll see that number go back up again as we still recover from COVID. Right. But if you make a basic assumption and say, forget VPRC's numbers of 100% being wrong, let's just look at Massachusetts. You're talking about 300 families each year 
that are wrongfully determined to have abused or neglected children. And his bill said the parents are precluded from work. They're also precluded from being the little league coach or volunteering sure, around at the school, right. going on school trips, right. those kinds of things. And at the same time, you have children who in half of our cases, children were removed from the families. Oh, this is very sad news here. The good news. These two gentlemen have managed, and I'd love to hear how we got here. There are now being considered in the legislature two bills. One is H661 and the other is H327. And they are being considered to address this problem. And I am, I am really, I'm very excited for the both of you. And thank you very much. So maybe, um, Larry, can you tell us how we got here? Sure. <clears throat> Very succinctly. Once our report came out, there was <clears throat> there was actual data that people could look at and you could challenge it if you wanted to. Fortunately, a group of middle managers within the Department for Children and Families who were connected with something called uh, the Children's Justice Act Task Force, which is a federally mandated group tied primarily to making sure that the investigation process and the prosecution of abuse and neglect is being is being attended to, if you would. They decided, they, I'm a member of that group, but basically the group decided that it would take a look within DCF of its own data and compare it to what was in our report. They very carefully reviewed their information, and they came back with <laughs> a recognition that, yes, there is a problem with the system. Wow. So we have been working, we collectively, uh, VPRC, with other members of the task force and with DCF to identify the problems and then begin to identify solutions. What we needed was we needed a commissioner at DCF who was really open and willing to look at this. And fortunately, with the appointment of Commissioner Chris Winters, right. we found that person. And as I mentioned to you when we were offline, right. Chris contacted me very quickly when he started his, his work. We met, we talked, he recognized after looking at his information from his folks and our information that this needed there needed to be reforms. And consequently, he put into motion a process of bringing outside individuals, some 60-odd people, right. for a period of about four months to take a look at the problems that had been identified and the proposed solutions and give feedback. The result of that is a combination of um, legislation that DCF had submitted a number of years ago and a, a new bill, uh, H661, which, in fact, addresses the problems and offers the solutions. This is, in my mind, this is why I moved to Vermont to work in state government 40 years ago, right. because Did this is the way the state operated. And I can't tell you how excited and happy that I am that we have developed this working relationship and that we've produced what we've produced. That's great. Bill, I know you wanted to yep. chime in here. Well, I think I think um, you know my hats off to Commissioner Winters. He we, he talked with both of us. I think he contacted Larry before he ever took office. And uh, you know our experience over the last five years with talking to commissioners resulted in nothing. And I, honestly, I, I didn't have any expectations other than we felt we were on it. We were bound to try. 
And, you know, two minutes into my conversation with him, he interrupted me and said, Bill, um, you know, I want to hear all the information that you and Larry have, and you want you to send it to me. And I think Larry had the same conversation with him. Several, several, we talked with him quite a bit. But immediately he said, I just want you to know before we get started, I, I believe there are problems in this system, and I want to take action to fix them. And, uh, you know, after five years of nothing, I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> but he, um, uh, you know, my hat's off to him. Uh, the D- DCF is, a, is just a huge agency, and commissioners don't have a lot of time to focus on things like this. But he really, as Larry said, pulled together a good group. There were, there were some legislators that have been working on this for a couple of years that were, you know, getting behind legislation. And um, I think, uh, I, I think this bill has a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's probably the most important first step I can think of. There are other things that need to be done in the future, but, um, but this is, this is certainly the way to start. And I think maybe if Larry, if you could run through what the bill would accomplish, that might be, that might be helpful. That's great. Yeah, go ahead, Larry, please. Sure. Uh, the bill accomplishes a number of things, but there are key pieces of it, and those are the ones I'll touch on. Uh, the first and probably the most important is we are changing, the bill would change the standard of evidence required to substantiate someone. For 40 years now or so, <laughs> it has been what's called the reasonable person standard. There's no way to measure the reasonable person standard. And the best example is you, Pat, Bill, and I, I think, are all reasonable people. Mm. We don't agree on everything. No, we don't, do we? So yes, but it, we love each other. Yes. <laughs> so it becomes the luck of the draw to some degree, depending on which worker you get. Mm. And it's not a measurable system. This changes that. It adopts – we would be adopting what's called the preponderance of the evidence – And that means that you have to weigh evidence pro and con. So an investigator, when they do their investigation, under reasonable person, they didn't have to gather evidence. They could just gather information and decided who they believed. That's really what it often came down to. And the longer that process was in place, the less evidence that was gathered because people were pushed, their workloads were high, and quite frankly, there aren't any incentives to take your time and do a really good job. All the incentives are in the opposite direction because if you don't substantiate a parent and then they later abuse the child, then the worker is on the hot seat. It's an unfair situation. It's totally different than what we do with police officers. If a police officer investigates something and says there's not enough evidence to prosecute here and then that person commits a crime, you don't go and blame the police officer. But as we saw in the tragic deaths of two children several years ago in this state, the workers were blamed. Their supervisors were blamed. I remember this, and you are absolutely and, and Pat, correct. When that, when that happens, and I've seen this happen around the country because I was in the job for a long time and talked with commissioners all over the United States, everybody experienced the same thing if there was a huge outcry and finger-pointing at the Child Protection Agency. Um, there's a risk-averse reaction, and all of a sudden you see substantiations and children in custody beginning to go, the numbers beginning to go up. Um, I saw it um, um, in a particular district where there was, you know, that kind of an outcry. And, you know, you have to get right on it and get out there and, and talk to your supervisors and your social workers and say, look, 
you know, we're not going to do this. We're, we, we need to do – we're not going to substantiate cases or ask for kids to come into custody to cover ourselves in case something goes wrong. We're going to continue to make it based on, you know, the facts before us. But in, in Vermont, that outcry was statewide, huh. more powerful than anything I dealt with with child deaths. And uh, and I think it not only affected social workers, it affected yep. supervisors and folks – throughout the department yeah. and as a result I, I think that's you know it's 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 sometimes it's hard to come back from that attitude because people are you know afraid that I'll, I'll be blamed if I make a mistake well, for sure um, but it's uh, you know the standard of evidence you can have with, with the reasonable person standard you can have a social worker and a supervisor in Newport look at a set of uh, you know facts and say this is not child abuse supervisor and social worker in Bennington can look at the exact same, same set right. of facts and say it is child abuse and they're all correct because they're all reasonable people. Yep. It's as Larry said, it's a standard without boundaries and it's where we're, most of the states in the country have uh, abandoned that standard and gone to to a, a higher standard of evidence and it's time for Vermont to do it. For um, sure, it certainly sounds it, Bill. Um, yeah, we have about remember, three, just, three minutes before we go to a break, so um, Bill, did you want? Did you have something else to add? No, I, I can talk about it later. And mostly, I think Larry may have had something else to say about. Okay, the bill. yeah, he's got a, a list of uh, uh, what the bill does. So maybe within two minutes, you can uh, before yep. we take a break. Absolutely. So as as was said, it standardizes substantiations now, and that makes it fair across the state. The other thing that it does, which is critical, <clears throat> is it. It improves the timelines for people to be able to appeal. Currently, you would receive a letter that was mailed by some date. And you would have 14 days to lodge your appeal with the department. If you miss that 14-day window, you lose your appeal rights. Wow. And the number one reason <clears throat> that cases are upheld at the Human Services Board is because people failed to ask for their appeals in time. Oh. So 14 days today is not enough time to do anything in. This changes that to 30 days. Right. Um, it also, and this is critical, it now means that DCF and the Human Services Board are using the same standard of evidence. If you can believe this, before DCF used, because that's the law, used reasonable person. But when it went to the Human Services Board, you had to produce a preponderance of the evidence. It made right. no sense. I remember when uh, the three of us talked about that yes. back uh, a couple of years ago, and that just blew my mind. This business of, of you know, different levels of government having different standards of evidence is the definition of administrative madness. <laughs> to drive parents crazy. You know, you, go, you appeal at DCF. And they, or you're substantiated, and you appeal, and, and that's based on a reasonable person standard. And then you're you're going to court to say in a, in a child protection, you know, uh, matter around possible custody of your child, and they use a preponderance of the evidence standard. Or if you appeal the commissioner's review unit uh, appeal decision to the human services board, they use the higher standard preponderance of evidence. So you could have a judge throw the case out and say, come back when you've got enough evidence to 
to uh, justify this, and the department has substantiated you and put you in the registry. I mean, it, it, it's just crazy, and I think everybody recognizes that it's, it's needed, but it's also one of the reasons why so many people are in the child protection. I mean, 25,000 people in the child protection registry is crazy, and there's no discrimination. You can have somebody there um, for risk of harm, which is often used, and I think often used inappropriately because the child hasn't been harmed. It's risk of harm. And, uh, and, uh, and they're in the registry, and somebody who sexually abused 15 children is in the registry. Wow. You know, there are a lot of people in that registry. There's no, there's no purpose in terms of child protection being served by maintaining them in the registry, and they're losing the opportunity to work in so many jobs in the state. Right. This, this bill, I think, will have a huge impact on that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's long overdue. Well, that risk of harm phrase you just used leaves a little bit to the imagination. Larry, do you want to continue talking about what this bill's doing and sure. any comments about what we were just talking about? Yeah. Other things that it does is that it provides, the bill provides for a greater uh, sense of notification. In other words, current law says that the department sends a first class letter to you. You have 14 days to respond to that letter. However, the department has a process for mailing letters, but it has no verification system to show that the letters were actually mailed. So there's a policy and a procedure Ah. to do it, but there's no record that it actually ever gets mailed. That's one piece. Sometimes letters don't get mailed. We've had cases where we have shown, as best you can, there's no proof that the letter was ever sent. Other times, the letter goes because the substantiation sometimes can take a year or longer before you're actually notified. The person has moved. They weren't told originally that they were going to be notified by mail. They may have moved two times. Right. And they don't get the letter which means they lose their appeal rights. Wow. In many cases, or some cases that we have worked with, people have been on the registry for years and didn't know it until they applied for a new job, typically in the medical profession. We've had nurses who've worked in the medical profession for years and then been turned down time after time after time, but never told why relative to promotions. And then eventually would ask, can someone please explain to me? Well, it's because you're on the Child Protection Registry. Ooh, and they never knew they were on the registry. Right. Um, then there are a number of provisions that the Department for Children and Families has been trying to get approved for several years in an earlier bill. And these are administrative changes that would allow them to operate more efficiently and more effectively. Those are all included now in what will be a rewrite of House Bill 661, because if you go online now and look at House Bill 661, it's about 13 pages, 12 pages long. In reality, the rewrite is going to be closer to 22 pages, but that's because we have taken the two bills and the issues, worked through our differences, and that's the exciting thing about this. It's not that VPRC is some kind of mega agency that the department has to pay attention to. It's that we have reflected the work of four years and of hundreds and hundreds of people who've been involved in this process. And DCF has looked at their own records and come to the same conclusions. So we have worked together to find common ground for common sense solutions. And that's what's in House Bill 661. And I would add this. Is it a perfect bill? No. Is it a good bill? You better believe it's a good bill. 
And I firmly believe that you don't sacrifice the good for the perfect. There you go, because you'll never get there, right? Because we will never get yeah, to perfect. I know how that works yes. in the state house. So before I forget, because I've been thinking about this as we've been talking, how can people get a copy of Broken Systems, Broken Promise? Is it on your website? Where is it? Yes, it is on um, <clears throat> it's www.vtprc.org. That will take you to our webpage, and then you can navigate through the webpage looking for the report, Broken System, Broken Promises. Right. If someone wants a, an even broader and more detailed view, um, they can look for our earlier report, which is called Bending the Curve. Oh, no, I didn't know that. To improve our child protection system. That report came out in 2018, and there is almost nothing in that report that isn't true today. Wow. Because the system really has not evolved. We now have an opportunity to bring us a leapfrog 40 years. And remember, when these changes, ideally 661, as it's expanded, it will be the law and will drive our policy for the next 20 to 30 years in this state because that's how long these changes usually stay in place. This is an incredible opportunity for us. To do the right thing for children and to do the right thing for families right. uh, and to do the right thing for the Vermont taxpayer and for state employees because this gives much greater certainty to the work that DCF workers will be doing. That's great. Bill, did you have well, a comment? I think, well, I, I think it's also important to recognize that, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're going to take any steps to correct the situation, this, this bill, I think, really uh, is the thing to do. If you try and fix all of the things that are wrong all at once, likely to fail. I think, I think the the folks working on this, deciding to focus on these issues uh, now, is a good is a great idea, and will have a huge impact on the system. But I think it's important to realize there's more to do. Our, our legal representation for children and parents, for example, is worse than most, with the exception of a few outstanding attorneys, and I don't know how they stay in business. Um, is worse than useless. It's, it's actually harmful. And uh, there's federal money available to help states uh, 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 develop model systems of legal representation. Washington State did it years ago. Um, they saw a 50% reduction in child days in custody uh, as a result. And uh, being very conscientious folks that were working on this, they said, well, um, let's make sure that the fact that there's less children in custody, kids either not coming in or going home earlier, um, that that's not resulting in a higher number of re-abuse cases. And they found that there was no change. It didn't have any impact at all on re-abuse. Um, so basically, a 50% reduction in with appropriate legal representation. And what lawyers had was wonderful training for parents, attorneys, and kids' attorneys, great supervision, uh, and uh, and um, folks that helped do investigations, the kind of investigations Larry did into these cases, um, folks to help parents who are struggling with poverty and, and substance abuse and mental health and children who are in difficulty with mental health issues and so forth. And uh, and what they found is that they were, they were spending, of course, the big state, millions and millions of dollars that didn't need to be spent and, the, and that were actually harmed.
harmful. So there, there's more to do with that. I also think looking at a reorganization of what is a huge department is a good idea. I think the early childhood legislation requires a look at that issue of reorganization. I had two commissioners who I have great respect for that I called over the last you know few years and said, how's it going with child abuse and neglect? And both of them said to me, Bill, I don't have any time for that. Most of the department is economic services, and I have to depend on other people to to take care of that end of the system. Wonderful. Uh, it's a huge department. I I, I don't I, I understand why it was created, and it was all with good intentions. But sometimes you have unintended consequences. Yep. Um, we we need a department that's that where if you have good managers, they're able to do their job. I so agree with you. I was just talking to Larry at the break that I think some of our super agencies, if not all of them, are just way too big and things get lost in the shuffle. And here you're talking about kids getting lost in the shuffle. Larry, I'm, we got to take a break in about a minute. I wanted, you were shaking your head when Bill said that it's, that it's harmful to the children to have representation. What the heck? Well, this is something that we have looked at, and this isn't a secret. I mean, unfortunately, but it hasn't had the same light shined on it. That our system of, of providing legal representation for children and for parents involved in the child protection system is woefully inadequate. It's incredibly inefficient and incredibly ineffective. Huh. The federal government will give us money to improve this system. One of the stumbling blocks is that DCF needs to have a data system that's modern and can track certain things. Uh, it doesn't. No. Nope. It doesn't. So that's one of the things we also support is that DCF needs a modern data system. But I do want to say this, particularly in this instance, what this legislation does is not just make it more difficult for the department to substantiate but it makes it clear what they're substantiating for, and it puts everyone on a legal base, on a level basis. If you're a wealthy person and you've abused a child, you can hire a good lawyer and you can probably win. Right. If you are not a wealthy person, you won't be able to hire a lawyer and you're probably going to lose. lose. Right. That's not the way a system is supposed to work. For sure. We need to protect our children, and we also need to protect the integrity of our families and not traumatize both in the process. And especially if you have to separate them when there's no cause. Absolutely. Um, they're getting some pushback, or perhaps not publicly, but there's pushback. Um, and I'm struggling with why there's pushback. What do they think this is this is for real. This is serious. I, I, I was just thinking of the same thing, Pat. I think, um, I mean, Larry, we, we both, I think, have, have talked about this. Um, you know, you, you hear people saying, "Well, they're, they're just uh, they're just uh, uh, concerned about parents, you know, not about kids." And uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Larry and I both worked in the system. Um, we believe children have a right to live their lives free from child abuse and neglect. For sure. Um, I, uh, you know, there, there's there's a food I can't eat because of a case I saw 30 years ago, and I think I'm a pretty tough guy, but that one has stuck with me, and I, I to this day, I can't eat that food. <laughs> I, uh, but the fact is, it could be a show in, in itself, eh? In the in the child protection business. The goal has to be not to err on the side of the kids, not to err on the side of the children. The goal has to be not to make any mistakes. Right. Because if you make mistakes in the child protection business, you increase the risk of harm to the parents, to the kids, and usually to everybody involved. 
Um, and so our goal here is to make sure that we have a system that's acting appropriately, that's fair, that makes sure that we're protecting children, but also make sure we're not harming parents when we, you know, when we shouldn't. Because if right. you, as we talked, if you, if a child's taken into custody, for example, and the parents are in the registry and not eligible for thirty percent of the jobs in Vermont, and it's wrong, and it's a mistake. That's doing a tremendous amount of harm to that kid, never mind right. parents. Especially if they so. take them away from a parent who is a good parent. I mean, that just makes no sense sure. at all. And look, oh, look, a lot of these folks are poor. They struggle with all the bad outcomes that come with poverty and so forth. But labeling people abusive um, because, for example, they got a slum landlord and there's a lot of mold in the house and those screens on the upper windows, so it's not safe. You know, the goal, the solution to that isn't to blame the parent because right. they're poor. Um, and uh, there needs to be a lot of training and work behind that and, and good oversight. And I would think if I was an employee, which I've been for many years, that you want to go home every night knowing you've done the best you can do and that everybody's winning in this case. And um and it's not the employee's fault. It's the system, and we're trying to change it so they can go home at night going, I did, I did good. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Pat. This is not a, a people problem. It's not a problem right. with state workers. It's not a problem with – it's a problem with a system. Yep. And when you are a state employee, you have to work within the system you're given. And we have been shortchanging those state employees by giving them a system that doesn't work. And that exposes them to all the wrong things. And people have asked me, you know, Larry, what's your ultimate goal? And I said, my ultimate goal is to take an appeal and lose. Because that means we have reached a point where state employees have the training, the resources, and the support, and the skills to be able to adequately investigate and say, yes, this is abuse and neglect, here is why, and here's the evidence to support right. my statement. That's the goal, because yeah. if they can do that, they can protect children and they can support families. And I, our system doesn't let them do that I, today. I just can't imagine the pushback, and I, uh, those people hopefully are saying why they're concerned, and Larry, um, Bill just said it's that you're focused mostly on the parents, but what I'm hearing, it's... It's the children. It's a family. I I do almost as much work advocating for children in my role as I do advocating for parents because in many cases you're advocating for the family. Right. And there isn't – in my mind, there's no difference. You're not pitting children against their parents. You're basically – you're looking at situations and saying, is this abuse or neglect? If it is, we have to deal with it. Right. If it's not, do the folks need services? Can they have a better family life if there are services available? And how do we make that connection between DCF and the families? And it's not just DCF. There's a host of service providers. DCF is expected to take care of everything. It can't. (laughs) And what I would like to see it do is focus on what it is solely charged with doing, which is investigating abuse or neglect in this particular arena. So if people have concerns, I would like to hear them because I can't I can't think of a person who has come to me in the last few months and said, I have a real problem with what you're proposing here. 
I haven't had that right. happen. And but they're out there. I'm sure that they yeah. are. I just, it would be happy. I'd be happy right. if they came forward so that I could explain what it is that, that, that we're trying to accomplish. And I would add this piece. It is rare that a state agency and a private nonprofit, which is what VPRC is, that have been, you know, in theory, antagonist have come together to say, we identify the same problem and we've identified the same solutions. Let's get on board and do this, Vermont. And I'm sure it's not for lack of working hard on the employees' part because they're probably overwhelmed with work and they're working really hard with what they've been given to work with. And that's the problem. You're absolutely right. And I think I've been there in other departments. Uh, yes, we've we've all <laughs> yes, been there yes, exactly. in other departments. This sounds familiar, but this time we're yes. talking children. We're and, talking uh, children and families. families. Yeah. And and those you know, that's the bedrock. That has to be the bedrock of our state. Yeah. Bill, I hear you. Go ahead. Well, I you know, I think the I think another thing where you get pushback and it's it's um um, uh, you know, it's just a, a matter of fact is that you, you have a system with a lot of workers and, and there's been a lot of turnover, a lot of young people coming in. And, and in some areas, there's obviously a culture um, that uh, that says that some of the things that are being done and they're being done sometimes in the name of child protection, but they're not appropriate or or uh, fair to uh, to any to the families involved, but there's a culture of this is the way we do business, and you're going to have legislation is changing that, and uh, uh, but the work of of changing that culture falls to Commissioner Winters, right. and it's a hard it's a hard job, and it involves good supervision and good communication to your people, and in some cases the message that um, we don't do business like that anymore, and here's why. And and you have enough resources and good supervision to when you see things that aren't being done properly to step in and say hold on, we're we don't do that anymore, and uh, and that's that's an administrative job. You can't pass laws to fix that, but you can take the kind of steps this bill takes to to set a structure in place that's formal. And that's legal, and that uh, and that really sets some boundaries that send a clear message and make it much more likely, as Larry had said, make it much more likely that kids and parents will be dealt with appropriately and fairly and and hopefully get the help they need if they need help. Yeah, and I think the word equally as well, because we talk about fair, equitable, and I mean, the equality of this, if it's it's different in one area than another, it's all got to be... The same, the same rules, the same thinking, and the same outcomes. Um, I know that um, I'm going to ask Larry to say a few thank yous to a few people because we've mentioned the uh, the Commissioner Winters, who is a fabulous man. I think I think he's a great guy. But there's a few others right here in Waterbury that we should thank, and a few others from the legislature. Absolutely. And what I would like to do is the first thing I'd like to do, Pat, is thank. A group that I have thanked for years since I came into this job, and that is to thank the DCF workers who do this work every day. For sure. I have said it a thousand times. It is the toughest job in state government. Right. It really is. The goal of our work is to make their job easier for them to do properly. Right. That's the goal. Right. And, and to support them in doing that. 
specific to this situation, I want to, th- we really have to thank Commissioner Winters. Without his involvement, this would not have happened. We also have, uh, Representative Wood, Teresa Wood. Chair, right here in Waterbury. Right here in Waterbury, who has decided she's going to move this bill. And a representative of Bloomy and Stebbins, uh, Great. who are the, who are the sponsors of this bill. Thank you all very much. Thank you for paying attention. Um, go check out this report. It's easy. It's sad, hard to read from a content perspective, but it's easy to read and understand. So this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. See you next Thursday where we'll be talking town meeting.